0: It's time now for a special edition of Encounter with your host, Evan Fowler. Well, good afternoon. Welcome to this uh, special edition of Encounter. Today, we're going to be talking about heaven. So if heaven is something that you're interested in, concerned about, that you've had questions about, stay with us because That's what we're going to be talking about for about the next 30 minutes. And we'll be talking about it with Dr. Robert Jeffress. Uh, Dr. Jeffress is the speaker, the teacher on the Pathway to Victory broadcast, which is now heard at Noon Central all across BOT Radio Network stations. Dr. Jeffress, welcome.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having
0: me, Evan. Well, the book is called A Place Called Heaven, Ten Surprising Truths About Your Eternal Home. And it is, I just have to say that it is a comprehensive, very readable book about this most important topic. It's, it's you know, uh, it answered a number of questions that, that I have personally had about it, and it also sort of sharpened and fine-tuned the way I view uh, what I'm doing in the here and now, because really that that is so important, isn't isn't it? When you're talking about where our eternal destination is going to be,
1: it really does. There's a connection between life on Earth and life in heaven, and I say in the book, a place called heaven, that what we do on Earth reverberates in the halls of heaven forever. And that's one thing I want. I wrote this book to do, to help people understand the connection between earth and heaven. And this is the real paradox, Evan. As brief as our life is here on earth, and as long as eternity is, What we do in these few fleeting years we have here on earth does have an eternal impact on our
0: lives. And one of the chapters talks about that, specifically about rewards and crowns in heaven, and we'll get to that here uh, a little bit later in our conversation. But first of all, you know, there are books, there have been books, probably quite a number, that have been, been written about heaven. What prompted you to write A Place Called Heaven?
1: Well, two things. First of all, uh, I wanted the book to be an encouragement to people. You know, some people would say, well, with all that's going on in this world, nuclear conflict with North Korea potentially, a hurricane every other day, political chaos, with so much going on in this world, why should we be thinking about the next world? Well, that answers the question. It does. Uh, The fact is, as bad as things are here, and I think they're going to get worse, God says what's happening is only temporary. He does have a better place. He's preparing for Christians. So I wrote this book to be a book of encouragement for people, no matter what's going on in the world in general or their world in their world specifically. But also, I wrote this book to help prepare people for heaven. You know, if um, Evan, if um, Rich and Dick Bot told you, uh, "Hey, we've decided to open up uh, a, a ministry in London, England, and we're going to move you there in six months." and your move is going to be a permanent move to this foreign location, you'd probably spend the next six months learning everything you could about that future location, London, England. You'd want to not only know about it, but you'd start right now making preparation for that inevitable move. The fact is, if we're a Christian, all of us are going to be moving to a new location, and it's a permanent location. It's called heaven. And it only makes sense that we'd want to learn everything we can about that place and start making preparation now. And that's what I want to do. Uh, In this book, I've answered the 10 most frequently asked questions I've received as a pastor over 40 years. Things like, you know, what will we do in heaven? Do we know one another in heaven? Will heaven be the same for everybody? I've written it not just to satisfy our curiosity, but to help us start preparing for this very real place called heaven.
0: Yes, and I I was going to read some of the other... uh chapter titles, What Difference Does a Future Heaven Make in My Life Today? Uh, Have some people already visited heaven? You're talking about those near-death experiences, or NDEs, as you call them. Uh, Do people in heaven know what's happening on earth? Some really fascinating questions, and and we'll kind of dig into some of those. I've I've gone through the book, and I've made some highlights of some things that I want to catch. We're not going to get through the whole thing, because we want people to buy the book and read it, because it's a as I said, it's a really comprehensive view and very readable book about this particular topic. But I want to ask you kind of a general, maybe theological, philosophical question, because one of the things is, you you know, you're talking about the fact that heaven is our eventual destination, and, and what we need, we need to be preparing for that location, as you were saying in the example about getting moved to London, But which, by the way, I've I haven't heard about it yet. Maybe you know something. I don't. But
1: <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're planning to talk to you after the broadcast. I have today. to
0: work on my on my British accent so I blend in a bit better. But uh, so help us understand. Help me understand kind of how we need to view the balance because if if our you know it's kind of like if our eventual destination is somewhere else, then uh, what is what's this life all about? That's a pretty big question. A big theological, philosophical question, but tell our listeners, what's this life about?
1: In the the very last chapter of the book, I answer the question, how can I prepare for my journey to heaven? And one of the things I say is we need to develop a here-there mindset. Yes, we're going there, But we're still living here, and we've got to learn how to handle uh, both uh, our responsibilities here on Earth while at the same time preparing for Heaven. Those aren't always mutually exclusive either. Go back to the transfer to London. If you knew you were going to London in six months, you'd sure be you know, thinking about a house to live in there, you'd be, you know, thinking about uh, where your kids might go to school. You'd be thinking about and preparing for those things, but you still have real responsibilities right here in your present location, your present job. And so we've got to learn how to multitask as Christians. Uh, Yes, God has called us to a new home, but he's left us here on this earth with some definite responsibilities.
0: You talked about a Harold Warren, somebody that that you referred to in, uh, really, in the first chapter of the book. uh, Tell us the story about the marks on the, I believe it's on the chalkboard that he had.
1: You know, the question I'm always asked is, well, why should I even think about heaven? I don't want to be so heavenly-minded that I'm no earthly good. You know, the fact is, Evan, I've never met anybody like that who thinks too much about heaven. As C.S. Lewis said, our problem is we think too little of heaven. And then he said, history has shown that the people who made the greatest difference in this world are precisely those people who thought most about the next world. And one benefit of reading a book like A Place Called Heaven, thinking about heaven, is it reminds us of the brevity of our life here on earth. You know, in Psalm 90, Moses said, teach us to number our days, to recognize how few they are, so we should spend them as we should. And uh, one of the godliest men I ever knew was named Harold Warren. He was chairman of the search committee that brought me to First Baptist Church, Wichita Falls, many years ago. Harold, I think, was about 66, 67, and I'll never forget walking into his office one day, he had this chalkboard with all of these chalk marks on it, and uh, just endless chalk marks, these little, you know, strokes of a chalk, a chalk a piece of chalk. I said, Harold, what is that? He said, well, each of those marks on the chalkboard represents how many days I have left if I live to be 70. And every morning when I come into my office, I take an eraser and erase one of those marks, reminded me I have one less day to live. And uh, he said, it's a way for me to remember Psalm 90, to number my days so that I can use them as I should. Harold ended up living past 70, and when he got down to nothing and all the marks were gone, he then started adding a mark every day on that chalkboard to remember, or to remind himself, that he was living on borrowed time. Now, that is wisdom, and that's what living with heaven in mind does for us. It reminds us how brief our time here on earth
0: is. So do you think you can go overboard on that, maybe maybe focus on that too much?
1: Well, again, I just think most of us don't focus on it enough. Uh-huh. It's like we're going to live forever here, we waste our time, we do things that really don't count, and of course one of the things I talk about in a place called heaven is that uh, Uh, the fact that we are going to be evaluated at the judgment seat of Christ, and we ought to live our lives. That doesn't mean we don't enjoy things. It doesn't mean that we, you know, don't relax. I mean, God meant for us, as Solomon said, to eat, drink, and enjoy the life that God has given us. But we also need to live with eternity in view.
0: That's right. Well, there's a question you ask, why doesn't God tell us everything there is to know about heaven? I mean, there's a lot in Scripture about heaven, but... It doesn't lay it out. There aren't pictures. (laughs) So answer that question.
1: Yeah, well, I think, uh, and I use this analogy, I think, that Charles Allen used originally. uh, You know, just imagine you set your child down to eat their dinner. You put a plate of roast beef and mashed potatoes and spinach in front of him, and then off to the side is a bowl of vanilla ice cream with chocolate syrup on it what is he going to go for first? <laughs> what am I going to go for first mm-hmm. for that matter? We're going to race for the ice cream and skip the meat, potatoes, and spinach. I think in a way, if God set before us a picture of what Heaven is exactly like, I mean, we couldn't concentrate on our current assignment here on Earth, we'd be thinking about captivated by Heaven. In fact, I think if we really knew what was waiting for us, there'd be mass suicides as Christians (laughs) tried to get over to the other side as quickly as possible. Yeah, and
0: that raises a whole other question, doesn't it?
1: (laughs) Yeah, but God hasn't told us everything about heaven, but I think he's told us just enough to whet our appetite, and that's what I've tried to do in this book, A Place Called Heaven, is to give the information that whets our appetite and helps us start preparing for that future
0: location. There's a chapter called "Is heaven a real place or is it a state of mind and you start you you begin to dissect the uh, the different levels of heaven can you go get into that just a little bit
1: well I think um, first of all uh, where you know where is heaven people want to know about that do Christians when they die immediately go to heaven we need to understand that the Bible talks about Three heavens right now, you know, there's the atmosphere that we breathe, the air, that's the first heaven, uh, the uh, uh, outer space is the second heaven, and then the third heaven is where God is, where Christ is. Second Corinthians five eight says, to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. So as when a Christian dies, he immediately goes to that third heaven to where Jesus is. He's awake, he's fully conscious, there's no purgatory, soul sleep. We immediately begin experiencing the blessing of being with the Lord. That's the third heaven. But there is a fourth heaven, a future heaven, still under construction, so to speak. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare that place for you, I will come again and take you unto myself. That word place, topos, is a geographical location. Right now, Jesus is constructing what the Bible calls the New Jerusalem. And one day, after this present heaven and earth are destroyed, that future heaven, the new Jerusalem, is going to come out of the third heaven and come back to reside on this newly created earth. And so the final heaven is really right here on earth. John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And that gives me great comfort, Evan, to know that I'm not going to spend eternity floating around up there someplace. My eternal home is right here on this recreated earth where God originally intended for us to reside.
0: Well, there's something—by uh, the way, you mentioned something about uh, Jesus constructing that uh, future heaven, and what I don't know if I missed it but uh, or whether you didn't uh, discuss it, but the, the thought that came to my mind is, you know, God— Uh, created the earth and just stuff happened. Uh, How much actual construction, when you say he's building it, what does that mean exactly? Could he not just speak it into existence?
1: He could. I don't know exactly what that means, that he's preparing, but it shows a continual action he's involved in, I call that New Jerusalem, the ultimate and prefab housing. <laughs> <laughs> because when it's completed, it's coming down out of heaven to earth. And the Bible gives some very specific descriptions of it. It says it's going to be, the new city is going to be 1,500 miles cubed. Uh, that is humongous. I forget how many, i talked in the book, you know, New York City is 325 square miles, just the surface area of this would be like 20 million square miles. But that's just the surface. It's a cube. 1,500 miles up means 660,000 floors it would have on it. I mean, if somebody's estimated it, it would be large enough for 20 billion people to have 75 acres of their own space.
0: That's almost you know, as
1: so big... It's amazing.
0: Almost as big as Texas. Yeah, yeah, not quite, but almost. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's another just— Of course,
1: that Texas in the summer is more like, you know, where than— Yes,
0: know, that's you know, exactly. Possibly, and, and there's a, a fun story that I'm going to have you tell that, that's in the book, too. I, we'll, uh, we'll get to that here in just a bit. But there's something interesting here, too. I think a lot of people have this question, is, is about where Old, uh, Old Testament saints, you know, pre-Christ, uh, what, what happens to them? Terms of right.
1: I I think, and I talk about this in the book. I think again, uh, Jesus talked about this in Luke 16, Lazarus and the rich man. The Lazarus died, and he went to Abraham's bosom. That's not a term I actually found in the Old Testament, but it was found in Jewish literature. It's paradise. It's the same place Jesus said to the thief on the cross, "Today you will be with me in paradise." It's the same place you and I go if we were to die right now. It is with the Lord and so I think the Old Testament Saints are in the presence of God right now Uh, I think when we die we're in the presence of God but that's not our final destination one thing we know for sure there's no purgatory there's no wait station we immediately begin experiencing the blessing of being with Christ When we're with him, an unbeliever, when he dies, goes to this place called Hades. It's not the final destination of the unsaved. Hades, for the rich man, was still a place of torment, suffering, but it's a waiting place for the unsaved dead until their final judgment, at the great white throne judgment, in which they are cast into the lake of fire forever and ever.
0: I'll tell you what, you know, reading this book, Dr. Jeffress, uh, especially reading some of the parts talking about that topic, about hell, Uh, really motivates you to keep people out of there.
1: Um, Well, well, it does, and you know, I actually haven't had people say, well, I I accept what Jesus says about heaven, but I can't believe this hell stuff. Well, Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. And it's intellectually dishonest to say, well, I accept what Jesus said about heaven, but he didn't know what he was talking (laughs) about when he talked about hell.
0: Yeah, that would be inconsistent. He did
1: know, and he said both are realities, and I think the reason he spent so much time talking about hell was to warn us of that awful possibility and to lead us and show us the way of escape, which is through faith in Him.
0: We've got a whole chapter devoted to to the question, Have Some People Already Visited Heaven? Uh, Talking about near-death experiences. Kind of give us an overview of what's in that chapter.
1: Well, I know this is a touchy subject for some people, because they talk about these books they've read and how comforting it's been and so forth and so forth. Look, God can do whatever he wants to. I'm not going to limit God. But now just think about it. Um, If the Bible is sufficient and gives us everything we need to know about heaven, and somebody writes a book that basically confirms what the Bible says about heaven, then that book is unnecessary. It's a waste of our 1995. Uh, But if the book contradicts what the Bible says about heaven, well then, uh, that experience is either uh, delusional or even demonic for giving us false information. So I would just say I would view these near-death experience books with a healthy degree of skepticism. And I do point out in the book, Evan, there is no such thing as a near-death experience, as we define it today, Found in the Bible anywhere. Now, I know our listeners, bought Radio, are very Bible-oriented, so they're probably shouting right now, the Pastor, you don't know what you're talking about. There are all kinds of cases of people who were raised from the dead in the Bible. That's true, but not one of them, after they died, came back and told what they saw, saw on the other side. I mean, Lazarus didn't talk about what he saw during those three days he was gone. Or think about the Apostle Paul, Second Corinthians 12. He was caught up into the third heaven where God is, but God told him not to repeat what he saw. So what I'm saying is there is no uh, experience today Uh, that corresponds, or there's no experience in the Bible that corresponds to today's near-death experiences, so I'd be
0: very skeptical of that. I was going to say, we'll put you down as a skeptic. (laughs) Put me down as a skeptic. (laughs) We're talking with Dr. Robert Jeffress. He's the teacher on the Pathway to Victory broadcast. It's heard every day, 12 noon central on BOT Radio Network. He just released a book last week called A Place Place Called Heaven, 10 Surprising Truths About Your Eternal Home. And now, Dr. Jefferson, I, I want you to tell a, a, a funny little story here. It's it's at the beginning of Chapter 4. I'll give you kind of the lead-in. In the dead of a Minnesota winter, a couple decided to thaw out on a Florida beach. You want to tell the rest of that one?
1: <laughs> Why don't you tell it for me?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it I was just laughing. I was laughing hard. Essentially, uh, let me see if I can paraphrase this. You can jump in and correct me if I'm wrong, but when When the husband arrived in Key West and checked into the hotel, he unpacked, and then he shot off a quick email to his wife before going to the beach. Unfortunately, in his rush to get out the door, he transposed two letters in his wife's email address. Meanwhile, a minister's wife in Chicago had just buried her husband of 45 years. Entering her home after the funeral... Exhausted and numb from losing him so suddenly, she decided to check her email in hopes of reading messages of condolence to soothe her shattered spirit. Overlooking the address of the sender, she screamed when she saw the first message and then fainted. Rushing into the room, her daughter saw her mother on the floor and revived her. Then the daughter read the message. And now I'll read this short message. Here we go. Darling wife, I'm sure you're surprised to hear from me. I've just arrived and checked in, and I wanted to send you a quick note saying I can't wait until you get here. The staff has everything ready for you. I'm looking forward to seeing you tomorrow. And if everything goes as planned, you should get here as quickly as I did. P.S. It sure is hot down here. I know you're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> I went you did a great job of telling. <laughs> I, I went and read that one to my wife and she sort of looked at me dumbfounded but I thought it was quite funny. So, uh anyway, do Christians immediately go to heaven when they die? Talk about that. That's that's the lead into that chapter.
1: Yeah. Well, as we said, I do think Christians go immediately to be with the Lord, the third heaven, wherever that is, that's not their final destination. We call it the intermediate state. It's not purgatory, it's not soul sleep. It is with the Lord immediately experiencing those blessings. Likewise, when an unbeliever dies, he immediately goes to Hades, the temporary waiting place of the unsaved. It's not a neutral location. It is a place of torment, Jesus said, physical, real torment. But that's a waiting place until their final judgment at the white throne. So yes, we immediately go to heaven, but it's the third heaven. It's not our final destination.
0: Okay, well, let's talk about what, uh, you know, to the best of your understanding of what Scripture says, what we do when we get there. Uh, what kinds of activities does scriptures seem to indicate might be going on?
1: I think if we're honest, we have to say not uh, there are a whole group of Christians who are not that excited about going to heaven, because secretly they're scared to death they're going to be bored for all eternity. And uh, they've had these pictures of people floating on clouds, plucking harps, Or, even worse, they think of heaven as one long, unending church service. And to them, that really sounds like the other place. (laughs) So they don't get excited about heaven. Look, in heaven we are going to worship. We're going to experience worship like we've never experienced it before. But we're going to do more than worship. We're actually going to work in heaven. You know, when you think about it, Evan, God created Adam perfectly. He created him to be a worker. He said, I've made this garden, but I want you to cultivate it and keep it. Uh, Work was not a curse. It was a privilege that God gave Adam. Only because of sin did work become difficult. But in the new heaven, the new earth, all the things that make our work unpleasant, bodies that get tired, strained relationships, government regulations, All of those things will be removed, and we'll actually enjoy work like God intended us to. You know, people say, well, what will the work be? I wouldn't be surprised if our work in the new heaven and new earth doesn't correspond in some way to our present work. You know, think about it. Our life is a continuum that begins now and extends past death. If God's given us certain gifts and certain interests, I don't think it's just for these few years here on earth. I think it's for eternity. So I wouldn't be surprised, Evan, if you're not...
0: Hosting a talk show. <laughs> and uh, now you, you had uh, doubted whether or not you might be preaching there, though.
1: Yeah, I do. I'm probably one of those people. Uh, me and my brother, who was a policeman, probably going to have to find other work because you know everybody <laughs> will have a knowledge of the Lord, so there'll not be a need for any preaching, and there'll be no night and no evil people in heaven, so my brother's out of luck, too. So we'll be looking for work.
0: Yes, but you certainly have hobbies, both of you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think they're going to let me play my accordion in heaven either. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: know, <laughs> Secret. You know Just... the
1: old cartoon, the Far Side cartoon. One panel is, you know, the angel gives the entrance into heaven a harp. Here's your harp, welcome to heaven. And then the other guy, a demon, hands him an accordion. Is here's your accordion, welcome to hell. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know.
0: Well, I did. I didn't know you had that talent, but uh, we'll move on from there. Uh, at any rate, there's a there's some interesting things that you talk about here in terms of the resurrection body and uh, some of the the questions that arise are, uh, you know, because unfortunately some people die tragic deaths, uh, you know, in, in, in terms of injury and that sort of thing. And, and you, you can even talk about cremation, or those who've donated their organs. Talk about that topic in terms of the, uh, the resurrection body.
1: Yeah, look, you know, the Bible is uh, very clearly talks about that it's not these current bodies that we drag into heaven. It's a brand-new body that God gives us, and our new body, our resurrection body, will resemble our uh, current bodies. Uh, the Colossians 1 says that Jesus is the prototype. That's the Greek word, the prototype of those who uh, uh, will be raised from the dead. Look at Jesus' body. I mean, it was a real body. His disciples could touch him but it was also recognizable. There was something about Jesus' new body that retained some of the characteristics of his old body and his disciples uh, knew him. It's the same way with our new bodies that we have. It's not our old bodies, and so people say, well, what about cremation? Now look, there are some reasons not to be cremated. Uh, you know, the Romans cremated their uh, uh, bodies because they didn't believe in a resurrection, while the Christians lovingly laid their loved ones bodies to rest as a sign of their belief in the resurrection. But in the end, there's no real reason not to cremate. I mean, you know, people think, what turns the body to dust? Well, guess what? Your physical body, if it stays in the ground long enough, it's going to turn into dust. It's just cremation accelerates the process. The truth is, it doesn't matter whether your body's cremated, whether it's blown apart in an airplane accident, whether it becomes fish food in the sea, we get a new body, and that's what we have to look forward to.
0: That's great. And it's one that doesn't break down, like mine is starting to. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and, Absolutely. Well, here's another question for you. Do people in heaven, do those who are already there know what's going on on Earth? In other words, are they overlooking us, and, and uh, can they see what's going on?
1: I think in a general sense they certainly do. I get that again from Revelation chapter 6. There's a picture during the Great Tribulation on earth, those seven final years of earth's history, that the saints in heaven, the tribulation saints who were martyred, they look down on the earth. They're aware of what's going on and they say, Lord, how long will you allow this evil to go unchecked? In Luke 16, the rich man in Hades was aware of what was happening in heaven with Lazarus, and Lazarus was aware of what was happening uh, to the rich man. So there's certainly a general knowledge. Does that mean Aunt Ethel is watching every step we take from heaven? Hopefully not, I don't know, but there's certainly a general awareness.
0: Uh, last topic we're going to hit here in the last couple of minutes, Dr. Jeffress, is uh, will heaven be the same for everyone? And and you talk about something really interesting. I'll just read a little bit of a a part of a paragraph here. If you think Google, Facebook, and Amazon collect a mountain of information on search histories, likes, and purchases, their data collection is a molehill compared to God's collection system. Speak to that and and how that uh, applies to what it's going to be like in heaven in terms of whether it's the same or not for everyone.
1: Well, let me just say very clearly, heaven is not going to be the same for everyone, The fact is, Christians are going to face a judgment from God. It's a different judgment than non-Christians. They're judged at the great white throne judgment. But 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, "...we as Christians will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one of us may be rewarded for what we've done in the body, whether it be good or worthless." This is not a judgment of condemnation, like the one that awaits non-Christians, but this is a judgment of evaluation. And I talk about in this chapter of A Place Called Heaven, how that judgment will take place, what the basis of the judgment will be, and what the result of the judgment will be. For some, it will mean rewards that will last for all eternity. For others, there will be a real sense of loss as they see what could have been theirs had they been more faithful to Christ on this earth. So this is one of the myths people have about heaven, that it's going to be the same for everybody, or people who say, oh, just as long as I make it there, I don't care about rewards. When you get there, you will care about the rewards you may have forfeited because of unfaithfulness in this
0: life. Yeah, and that is so, so important, and that's uh, one of many reasons that I would suggest that you go out and get a copy of this book. We've just skimmed over the surface of the content. Again, it's very comprehensive. Of course, it's all based in Scripture. It's A Place Called Heaven, Ten Surprising Truths About Your Eternal Home by Dr. Robert Jefferson. And Dr. Jefferson, I just want to thank you so much for your partnership with BOT Radio Network and the uh, just the amazing, blessed teaching that you provide our listeners.
1: Well, it's a pleasure to partner with BOT. Thank you so much for having me.
0: This is Eben Fowler for BOT Radio Network.